0: Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Are y'all awake? Did you have your coffee? Good morning. Over to the worship center and the temporary service. It's great to be here. And hasn't it been hot this summer? come, it has been so hot. I like, seriously, I come home from work and um, just one thing, if you don't know this, fat boys love Freon, okay? And so I love the AC. And when I get home from work, my boys, we have this G- ginormous, um, trampoline in our backyard. And a lot of times, you know, I mean, I don't blame them that I get home and they want to go outside and play. And I'm thinking I'm not jumping on that trampoline. Cause I jump like for one minute and I feel like I'm going to pass out because I'm overweight and out of shape, but it's so hot. And I'm, so I'm thinking to myself, how about we just stay inside and I'll close my eyes and imagine us jumping over there and just give me like 30 minutes to imagine that. And it be a little power nap. But it has been so hot, I, can, I cannot believe it, but I hope you've had a great summer because it is almost over. And some of you, uh, a lot of you stay home moms are like, yes, the kids are going back to school, get them out of my hair. Some of you are like, no, I like summer. I don't like the hustle and bustle of homework and all that kind of stuff. Anybody done their back to school shopping? Okay, cool, me and my wife are the only ones. That's awesome. We're proactive discount staples, okay? But it is so great to be here. It's been a great journey through the book of James. And back in January, we started this series called The Real James and and, uh, really looking at the book of James because there's some great insight and there's some great direction as it gives to us to be authentic. And I don't know about you, but I wanna be authentic. I wanna be real. What you see is what you get. And so we've started taking this journey And way back in January, it probably seems like we've been in James for 40 years, (laughs) you know, but we started looking and then we hit the pause button. And Pastor Paul led us through a great time as a church through our vision and our mission and our mission that the reason we exist as Taylor's First Baptist is for us to and other people to encounter God and to equip believers and to engage the world. And so we kind of hit the pause button, went through that, went through um, our our seven values as a church, picked back up. And so now I have the honor to conclude the series and look at the last two verses uh, in James chapter five. So the very last two verses that James is writing this letter. And I love that we're concluding today in the fact of our values and, and vision and mission Really sandwiched in between the Book of James, because the Book of James is all about direction. He he writes as he's writing this letter to the church that in a time where seems to be some quarrels among themselves and some different things that are happening within the church, James is reminding the people and giving direction how to live as a follower of Jesus, how to be authentic, not some moral religious code, not some 12-step program, but to how to live and follow Jesus in a real way. Not to hide behind some churchy mask or some label, but to follow him with everything that you have. It gives us a lot of direction. And I don't know about you, but I'm directionally challenged. Anybody else directionally challenged? That, that's me, okay? Like literally, I could go to the mall right now, park, go to the food court. Uh, who doesn't like the food court, right? Because it's selection. Maybe it's just me. But you go to the food court. I eat. And then I'm like, where did I park? Am I, I think I'm Macy's. And I th- am I upstairs or downstairs? Or do I take the escalator? I, I'm just, I couldn't tell you. Ask my wife. It's like, I don't know which way is north or west or south or what, any of those directions. You know, it's, I, I just, I don't know. And uh, my mom has been in town, This weekend, and um, we—I thought it would be nice to go to the Biltmore. Isn't that that's kind of nice? She's never been, and that's a pretty simple drive if you've ever been. I mean, you pretty much are on one highway the whole way up, and then you get to the big signs that you can't miss that say Biltmore Estate. But ask my mom, like seriously, a mile out of our house, I'm like, you better get that GPS on. I don't know where I'm going, Uh, and the bad thing is, is like we have like—I mean, we usually use our ones on our phone because. The one that we have mounted is like 10 years old. And we found that being 10 years old, that there's a lot of roads that have been built since 10 years, okay? And so it kind of confuses us, but we all need direction. And I think in our lives, I know I'm guilty of this, is that as we go through life so often, we need direction. And I think Jesus knew that and James knew that as he's writing this. Because think about it, if you're a parent, it's like sometimes you have to like fly by the seat of your pants trying to figure out this whole parenting thing, trying to think about, okay, what discipline works? What discipline doesn't? Each kid is different. different discipline works for different kids. How do you love your kid when they annoy the junk out of you? (laughs) You know, it's like, you're trying to figure out these things of direction, or maybe, you know, you're in high school, you're trying to figure out you need some direction of where you're going to go for college or maybe you're in college and you're trying to find some direction of what am I gonna do? I can't, my major can't be undecided for four years, okay? So I need to figure out, I mean, some of us can, all right? Um, Then you go for eight years and you spend twice as much money, but you're trying to figure out your career. And we, we need direction, maybe even in our career, that as a millennial, long gone are the days of working for the same company for 20, 30, 40 years, it seems like we're trying to find direction in the corporate ladder, or maybe we get laid off and it's like, maybe I need to do something as a second career. We're trying to find direction. We, we pay people like financial advisors and planners to give us direction with our finances to help us figure out retirement or you know, 401ks and investments and IRAs, maybe college funding for the kids. We need direction, And I think James and Jesus, they knew that. And so James writes this letter in a way that is giving the believer really a litmus test of what does it mean to really follow Jesus? It can't just be, Jesus loves me, this I know, I raise my hand at VBS and that's it. Like what what is it to this authentic living? So James is pointing that out. And so just as a brief overview, you see in James chapter one, where James says, don't just be hearers of the word, but be what? Doers. So right off out of the gate, very first chapter of James, he says, listen, don't just listen to the words of scripture. Don't just listen to Jesus's teachings. Don't just go to church, put on your nice attire and be like, that's a good um, sermon preacher. You know, take it, process it, and then apply it to your life. Act it out. Don't just be hearers of it and be filled with knowledge, but go out and be doers. Be the hands and feet of Jesus. And then you see James kind of reiterates the same point. The very next chapter in chapter two, James says, faith without works is what? Dead. Faith without works is dead. So there is this um, connection that sure, to get eternal life to Jesus. I mean, we see through scripture, it's by faith and faith alone. It's not Jesus plus something. But what he's saying is he is reiterating that our faith and our trust in Jesus, as we grow closer to him and our desires start to become in line with God, that our works should be there. Our faith should produce works. It would be wrong to say, oh, I love Jesus, but I'm not doing anything about it. I'm just keeping it to myself. I'm just gonna watch everything on TV or on the internet at home and and that's it. He says you need your works need to, your faith needs to produce works. And then in chapter 4 I love this. James gives direction. He says draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So an incredible direction to say, hey, if we're gonna be authentic followers of Jesus, if we're gonna live according to this plan that God has instilled for us, that we need to draw near to him. And as we do that, God's gonna draw near to us. We can't expect to be far away from him and feel like we're close to God. I know that I've struggled with times in my life where it's like, where are you, God? And then when I look into the mirror, I realize, where am I? Where am I at? I'm the one that's been over here. So, So he says that, and then last week, in chapter five, David hit on um, the importance of prayer and not only just praying just to have conversation with God as a relational piece to, um, to our connection with him, but really the power that's in prayer. And I know I'm guilty of dismissing that. And he highlights where it says that we need to confess our sins to one another, pray for each other so that we can be healed that there is power in prayer, that as we pray for each other, we confess our sins, there's power in that prayer, but also there's power in the community, that as believers, we should be in a environment that we can confess our sins to one another and we can pray for each other, be transparent, be real, be authentic. And I think so often we miss, we miss that mark. And so this morning, we're gonna look at the very last the last two verses, chapter five of James, verses 19 and 20. And as he's talking about prayer, he gets to this one section that we're gonna read this morning. And before we read it, I kind of just wanna take a step back for a second. Is that okay? Y'all with me still? Not over here? Okay, y'all are good? All right, so take a step back. What was Jesus's mission? His very mission as he came to this earth was for people's lives to be radically changed. Wouldn't you agree? He he came and he he sought after the lepers who no one wanted to touch because everybody thought it was contagious, and he goes over and he touches and heals them. He goes to the blind man and heals him. He goes to the Samaritan woman at the at the well who's had several different husbands, breaks all cultural barriers, race barriers, breaks the norm and and, and loves her so her life can be changed. And so Jesus's entire ministry was about life transformation. And so as he does ministry, as the disciples witness this, then he's arrested, crucified, three days later, comes back to life through the resurrection and he visits his disciples and lots of other people. He transfers that mission of loving people and life transformation to his disciples. And then he ascends into heaven. And shortly after that, in the book of Acts, you see the start of the early church where then Peter preaches at what's called Pentecost. 3,000 people give their life to the Lord. Shortly after that, 2,000 people give their life to, to Jesus. And then you just see it start to snowball and the early church began because the disciples were taking the mission, loving on people and desiring life change. And so with that mission, that transfers to us, that our our, our lives should be all about love and, tra- and life transformation. Think about this. Jesus said in, um, in John 13, he says, this is how they will know you're my disciples, by your love for one another. And then he says, hey, the two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. And what I'm talking about here when I say love is I'm not talking like, I'm 13 years old and I'm gonna marry my girlfriend type love, okay? Like warm butterflies inside and you're like, I love you and you love me. And hey, let me call my mom and see if she can take the minivan to the movies type of love, okay? I'm talking like sacrificial Jesus love, that Jesus loved in such a way that lives were changed and he transfers that same mission to us. And so with that backdrop, with that understanding of the mission, the authentic mission to be to love God and to love others. I wanna, with that understanding, I wanna read James chapter five, verse 19 and 20. And so if you have your Bibles this morning or electronic device over in the worship center, it'll be in the pew rack, Poo, not poo, pew. All right, that's got fire. This will be the last time I preach because I said poo, all right. It could have been a lot worse. Could have been a lot worse. But in the pew rack in front of you in the worship center. Oh, I can't wait for the Facebook messages to come after that one. It says this in verse 19 of chapter five. It says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. Now let me pause right there because I think we all wander. At some point in our life, we have all wandered and specifically from the truth. So James is saying, if anybody wanders from the truth, and that word wander there is the translation is used throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it really hits on two type of people. One, and I think James is referring to both types. The first type is that you have people that are wandering from the truth that have never really even engaged in the truth. And this is what I mean. They have never had a relationship with Jesus. They might've heard of Jesus. There's people in, in church, that are, are wandering from the truth. They look like a Christian, act like a Christian, maybe even talk like a Christian, that when it comes and the rubber meets the road, they're not a Christian. And you might say, well, that's really harsh, Dustin. That seems pretty judgmental. And I think throughout scripture, we see that people are wandering you know, from the truth. And I think James is saying, hey, there are people that you're gonna encounter at your job, in your neighborhood, on your sports team, sports parents, whatever, that are wandering from the truth. But I also think he's referring, as you see throughout scripture, that he's also talking to the believers. That as believers, and maybe you're in this room this morning, that there was a time that you felt super close to Jesus. And just over time, maybe you graduated high school, went off to college and kind of didn't really go to church anymore. Maybe you got married and she's a Christian, but you're not, or vice versa, or she whatever, maybe then you have kids, you start a career. And before you know it, there's been this slow drift away from Jesus. And you're almost like me um, and at times where you feel like once you drift a certain distance, you're like me in the parking lot at the mall where like, you come out and you thought you parked upstairs at Macy's, but really you parked at the food court. And like you're looking around and you're like, and I'm hitting the panic button, trying to find my car, you know? And I'm like, what? what? I don't even know. And we just wander through life that way. And so you have these two types of people. And so James is saying this. He says, my brothers, if anybody among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, this is why I initially said, listen, we need to have this backdrop of love. Because if James is saying throughout the course of this book, giving instruction, and I think it's really important that he's putting an exclamation mark at the end of this book to say, listen, if anybody's wandering away, how awesome is it if someone goes and gets that person, a, a, a sinner, that they will save their soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And so when I was studying this, I started looking, I was like, man, I've heard that cover a multitude of sins before. I've kind of heard that. And so I started studying. And as you look throughout scripture, every single, not every single, but almost every single uh, verse that talks about covering a multitude of sins is all rooted in love. Two, two examples of that. That if you look in um, Proverbs 10, 12, it says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Then in 1 Peter 4, eight, just a couple pages um, after James, it says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. And I think James is saying this and putting this exclamation mark on, on his book because in my opinion, I think that if we're gonna bring back someone who wanders from the truth, maybe it's a non-Christian altogether or maybe someone that used to be plugged in and has just drifted away. If we're gonna bring them back to the truth, the truth being biblical truth, God's plan, God's word, Christian authentic living. If we're gonna do that, we do it out of love. Now I've seen people in downtown Greenville or wherever, I've seen them all over the place where they stand on the corner with a megaphone or a little amp and a microphone screaming at people saying, you're all going to hell. You're all going to, sinners are going to (laughs) burn. Have you ever seen that? And I've I've never, now I haven't witnessed this. I'm not saying it hasn't happened. I've never seen somebody say, you know what? I am a sinner. Thank you for reminding me of that. And I need Jesus right now and go up to that person and say, you're right. Will you pray for me? I need Jesus. I've never seen that because you know what? I'm guilty of going freak, (laughs) you know? Like, what is that person doing? They're screaming. Ain't nobody gonna, no one's even listening. And I'm I'm thinking to myself, Ben, you're giving me a bad rap. You know, like I kind of want to go over there and say, hey, will you be quiet? No one's coming to Jesus because the thing is, is that when it's hate filled or judgment filled or your heart's full of complaining, whatever it is, if that's the basis it, I really do think it's going to be a lot harder, if not near impossible, for someone to come back to the truth with your heart being over there. I think you see Jesus, and as he goes to people, it's with love and with compassion. And once again, not this touchy-feely type of love, not Dr. Phil, hey, we all love each other, okay? But I'm saying Jesus' type of compassionate love for one another and for other people where we can draw people that are wandering. And I think too often as a church, we're better known for what we stand against than what we stand for. And if we really think about it, and just be honest, hope you're wearing your still-toed shoes, is that people that I know that have left the church, is usually because they've been burned by the church. It's not that, uh, no one says, man, they just, that church loved me so much, and they, they cared for me, and they brought food when this happened, or I've never seen someone say, you know, they love me so much, but I'm leaving. It's because they've been burned somehow. And so we have to look and say, how can we as believers, James is challenging, if we're gonna go after people, if people are gonna come to know Jesus, how are we loving? And I think a great example of this, we've heard this before, or maybe you haven't, but we look at this example in Matthew 18. So if you have your Bibles, once again, turn to Matthew 18. And we see in the gospel of Matthew, this example that kind of, it it connects in a lot of ways. But when we look at this word wandering and being led astray, that can come in different forms. And I think, as I said, we all have wandered in some point in time. And maybe we've, some of us have, only got off like a couple of feet off the beaten path. Maybe we're somewhat, you know, we were like on a totally different continent over here, whatever it is. And it comes in different shapes and forms. Maybe it's a marriage that went awry. So you've walked away from truth. Maybe you feel like you've been wronged, um, wh- whatever. Maybe you just have a complaint about something, whatever it is. And, and so Jesus is giving this illustration in Matthew 18, verse 15. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Now, maybe this is just me. I, 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 I tend to be more optimistic than most people, I guess. But when I look at that, that to me symbolizes love. To me, when having three kids that if, if our oldest Zion does something to his brother, I, I don't go to his brother and say, your brother is so mean and hateful and he's just wandering from the Lord, okay? You know, I don't say, you know what? Get, get Noah and me and you, we're gonna have a Nerf fight and we're gonna go attack Zion and I hope we implode his face in with Nerf darts, <laughs> you know? We don't say that. What I do is, we, I go to Zion and I say directly to Zion, Zion, what you did, that, that hurts your brother, buddy. I love you so much. I'm coming directly to you out of concern and out of love. And, the, and scripture says here, it, 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 doesn't, it, has, it says you've gained your brother. It doesn't say you go to him and, and tell him his fault and you have gained, you know, that you're right and he's wrong. It doesn't say you've gained because... You know, you just want to show him up and and just get in his face about something. It doesn't say that. It says, go to him directly in private. There's not a a hint of embarrassment. You're not wanting to bring shame to that person. And I think for us, whether it's a believer or a non-believer, the best thing for us to do in discipleship is so often, it's not a microwave, it's a a crock pot. (laughs) That it's this slow cooker process that, if I just come to somebody a lot of times and I just say out of hate and whatever judgment and I'm like, you're having an affair in your wife. You're a jerk. You need to come back to church. Our services are at 9, 30 and 11. You should come. We're doing a series on James. I love you, brother. Can I pray? You know, no. They're like, you just lost complete credibility because usually we do that out of judgment and out of a complaining, critiquing spirit instead of out of love. And what what James is saying and what Matthew is saying in his gospel is go to that person. I mean, we even still, listen, me and Sloan are not the perfect parents. And I just try to use examples because they're real, is that, you know, having three boys, seven, six and five, I mean, they're gonna argue and fight and he hit me and he's not letting me play on the Xbox and whatever. And we had to like kind of nip that in the bud really quick because it got old. It was like, Zion would come to us. And then I'm like, what am I supposed to do? I, don't, I didn't see what happened, you know? So I could be like, y'all are both going to time out. You're not eating for weeks, <laughs> you know, whatever, you know? Wait till your mom gets home. She's gonna spank you, <laughs> what, I, I don't know. But that's not, like, what do you do? And so we, even at an early age, we instill in our boys, if Zion, any of them, they come and they're a tattletale to us. I say, Zion. Did you talk to your brother about that? No. Okay. Well, why don't you go do that? <laughs> you know, we say if he's aggravating you, like they play Xbox and like one, they're like supposed to be on a team and one's shooting the other one like profusely. He's like, I keep dying. He's like, stop, stop, stop. And then he comes. He's like, trying to keep shooting me and I keep dying. I'm like, okay. Would you talk to him? No. Okay. Talk to him. So then he goes, and you look. Our kids are like, Zion, you know, you keep shooting me. And that's very aggravating. <laughs> Please stop. That's just, you know, that's, you know our seven-year-old being um, super smart. He, he uses bigger vocabulary than I do. And he probably is like, would you, would you mind if you quit shooting me? Because it's very perturbing to my spirit. I'm like, who's, like what seven-year-old says that? But we instill go to that person. But, but here, here's where we're at fault sometimes. A lot of the time when it comes, especially in church, that what we do is it becomes a gossip fest real quick. And instead of going to a person directly and saying, hey, I'm concerned about this, or, you know, th- this is how I can see it played out. And I know this is over-exaggeration. This is not based on any real story, but I'm just thinking, okay, is that I could see somebody, a church member, at Five Guys with another lady. And I'm like, who is that lady? That's not his wife. Who is that? So then I could come home and I could tell my wife's son, I'm like, hey, I saw Joe at Five Guys. I don't know why I went on a date on Five Guys, but he was another woman. And then I go over here to, you know, someone out, another church member. Hey, did you know that Joe was having an affair on his wife? I, yeah, I saw him. He was at five guys, five guys. Yes, five guys. <laughs> and then you start to tell everybody and you start to do this and you start to do it. And then word gets back. Now, all of a sudden I've just created not only tension for me and my family, but now I've created tension and um, conflict between whoever I've told and that person, that person has no clue that I'm talking about them. And so what ends up happening is in most cases, somebody will go, who has the courage to go to that person and say, Hey, I heard from Dustin that you're having an affair on your wife. It's like the whole telephone game. And he's like, What? That was my sister, <laughs> you know? Um, and you're like, Well, okay, that got way out of hand. Um, but then all of a sudden now I look like the idiot because I assumed something. And all I had to do, and what scripture says, the biblical truth, is to go to Joe and say, Hey, I saw you with that lady. Like, who was that? And he could have said, It was my sister. Now, if he says, no, I'm having an affair on my wife, then we got some bigger issues. And that's where the scripture continues, where he says, if, um, if he listens to you, you have gained a brother, but in verse 16, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Uh Oh, okay. And if he refuses to listen, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, what this is not saying is once, okay, you go to them directly, if they don't listen, you take two or three, it's not gossip, it's all out of love, it's all out of compassion, it's all out of um, really just a process and grace to extend grace, to this person. And when it says at the end that once you tell it to the church, they don't listen to the church, that you treat them as a Gentiles and a tax collector. That is not saying, get the heck out of our church. We wanna embarrass you and everybody's gonna talk about you. So if you come back, we're all gonna look at you with judgmental eyes. That's not what it's talking about. What he's saying is simply that the church is just lifting their affirmation of, hey, because of your behavior, we... We, don't, we cannot affirm that you really are a follower of Jesus. That sounds harsh, but that's what it is. But I want you to look even deeper than this, that this process of love that is happening here, of intimate setting to go to that person to talk, because I really do think if we are gonna bring a wanderer back to the truth and we wanna cover a multitude of sins, that it needs to be done out of love. But let me just pause right there for a second, because I think what is often the case within the church here at Taylor's and churches all over the world is that we don't extend that grace to wanderers. We don't extend love. We assume the worst about people. We have a very critical spirit where we can often say, what is he doing here? He hasn't been here in five weeks. You know, like, is, is he wearing that? What is she wearing? And we start having this critical nature where we're assuming the worst about people. And I hope for a day that we can have people in, in church, all, I mean, big capital church that bring all of their junk, all of their brokenness, all of their wandering, all of their non-direction into this place, the church, and that we will love in such a way as Jesus loved them that it isn't a critical nature. And as brothers and sisters of Christ, as a church, if we're to be known for our love with one another, I find it hard because too often, we're not known for our love for one another. We're like, man, they're fighting in there. I don't want anything to do with that. If even inside the church there's quarreling and people are talking bad about the church or the pastor or leadership or one another in their life group or small group and they're just talking about it. They just have this critical nature. I wouldn't wanna be a part of that. That's like saying, yeah, sign me up for the most dysfunctional family in the world. I would love to be married into that. (laughs) It's not, you want something that loves one another. You see the early church that love each other. They share each other's needs. No one was without anything because they're loving in this community. And I think James is reminding the early church here like, where is that? Amongst your quarreling in the early church, what happened to the basics? What happened to where people loved each other? You're you're Christians, right? You, You follow Jesus, right? Then let's love one another. Let's get past the nitty gritty type stupid stuff that we argue about and let's bring some unison. Because here's what I do know, is that over the last couple of weeks, especially, man, our world is full of hate. It's full of hate. Hate, we hate, our world hates Muslims. We hate Hispanics. We hate black people. We hate white people. We hate officers. We hate Trump. We hate Hillary. We hate all these things. And what is our response as Christians to that? Because I'm going to tell you right now, if I stood up here and the very first thing I said was, I'm voting for Hillary. Everybody would be like, oh no, you're not, dude. I'm lynching you before you get out of church. (laughs) You can't do that. But then if I said, I'm voting for Trump, some some of you would say, don't do that. You can't do that. If I got up here and said, I'm not voting at all, some you like, you're wasting your vote. You're voting for Hillary by not doing that. <laughs> it, and it would just be like hatred. <laughs> it would just be like, everybody in our world is just up in arms about stuff. And what's so crazy is that I often look and I'm, listen, I'm not trying to be social media police. Okay, I'm, I, I really am not. Okay, you're entitled to an opinion, but what breaks my heart is when the protesting um, for Black Lives Matter was happening here in Greenville. Um, and then, me and Sloan were like looking at a live feed and I never, here in Greenville, okay? This isn't in DC, this isn't in Atlanta, this isn't like Oakland, California. Here in Greenville, people are saying things like, um, just run them over. You're, You're seeing people say, oh, what are the monkeys doing in the street? And I'm seeing Christians engage into this conversation. Not in a stand up for injustice, but in a, this is so wrong, angry faces on the live feed. I can't believe this. We're taking Greenville back, whatever. And I'm just thinking, where are the Christians that are standing up? And I'm not saying agree and get out there and protest. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying, where is the love? Because we're stirring up strife. I see some of y'all put, you know, political things and like, it's like a 400 person comment thread on Facebook and... And it's like, that's a stirring up strife. That's breaking fellowship. And the same thing is that that hatred that's out in the world, we have brought that same hatred into the church. And unfortunately, it's, we are not gaining by that. We're not winning anybody and picking any wanderers to come back to the truth because really we're kind of the wanderers. We don't look any different than anybody else. And so our world full of hate needs the love of Jesus. And our mission, the authentic mission, the entire thing of James reiterating the life of Jesus is for us to live a life where we love God and we love people and we, we bring them back. We, 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 we point people to Jesus because we have people that are wandering all over the world. It's almost like they're playing Pokemon Go. All right. And y'all know what I'm talking about? Yes, no? Alright. The app. And they're like, I gotta find a Pokemon. And they're like walking all over the world trying to find this thing on this silly app. And they they have no direction in their life. And it doesn't help when we're like, hey, you need to know Jesus. But hey, you but listen, there's just there's this dude in my church and he's just really mad about everything. He, he complains about this, this, and this. And it's like, or they look at your life and you know, it doesn't match up with what you say. I'm just thinking, man, God came, the very essence, the very, okay, strip it down to the basics of faith. If you've been in any church at any point in time, the most famous verse of all time is James three sixteen. For God, so What? loved the world, the very, he, God loved the world so much. He sent Jesus for us. And so our mission in life is to love God and to love people. And we have to be able to do that in a loving way, not talking about people behind their back, not stirring up strife, but to go to people and love them, love your neighbor Love, love your family, love your coworkers. And for, for God's sake, as a church, we need to love one another. We need to love the, the older generation that's in traditional. We need to all, um, or love everybody that's in contemporary. Contemporary needs to love everybody here. We're the church. We're going after the same mission. Why, do we, why are we bringing in that hate and causing strife? we need to be unified because people are dying and going to hell and we would rather argue till we're blue in the face about stupid stuff within the, the walls of the church instead of going after and standing up for injustices that are happening and, and people who don't know Jesus because they might be rifled down in the streets tomorrow. We need to love people. And I think that is, that's what God's thinking. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know... You could, maybe you're a wanderer. And that's what we want this place to be all about. We want people who need direction, need hope to come to this place, to feel safe, to look for direction because the only way you can get direction is through Jesus. So maybe you're here this morning and you're a wanderer and you just need to come and talk to somebody that's up up front after the the service during the next song. And I'm gonna challenge you not to leave during this last song. It's okay. If the Presbyterians beat you at Mr. Salsa. It's okay. <laughs> it's all right. The food will be there. But I'm saying use it as a response to talk to God. Because maybe you're that wanderer or maybe you're the person that, man, you just been hurt by someone so bad. They, don't, they might not even know it or maybe they do know it and they don't care and you just need to give that to Jesus because by you not forgiving that person, it's hurting you more than it's hurting them. Or maybe maybe you haven't been the best about someone who's wandering and you need to ask forgiveness for that person or for not going after that person. Or maybe it's an action that you've done, you just haven't loved, you've complained, you've talked bad about somebody behind their back, whatever the case may be. And God wants you to come and say, use this response time to say, God, this is wherever you're at. Maybe you just wanna pray. I I, I don't know. But you use this as a time to talk to God and to say, God, how can I be the person that loves in such a way that we go? Because here's the thing. And this this is my last little kind of note. If you hear anything, maybe you just rambled and said, man, he is sweating profusely or whatever that if you hear anything this morning, if we are going to lead people to Jesus, we need to love people like Jesus. If we are going to lead people to Jesus, we need to love people like Jesus. We all struggle with that. I struggle, you struggle, that is hard. But if we really want people's lives to be changed, we need to love them in such a way as Jesus loved them so we can lead them to the giver of that love. Let me pray for us. God, we are so thankful that you are an incredible God that loves us. And while we were still sinners, you sent your son Jesus to die for us. And Father, forgive us where we judge other people, we talk about other people who might be wandering because we're all wanderers. At some point in our life, we have wandered away from you. And so God, I pray that you give us a desire and a heart to love, to go to people directly, to resolve conflict, to point out faults, to hold each other accountable. And that God, we do that all based on love, in order that sin, that a multitude of sins can be covered and a soul can be saved from death. And God, allow us to have that love to lead people to you. God, forgive us where even as within the church walls, we are so disunified and we fight about silly things, we break fellowship and we forget about the entire mission of your son, Jesus, the authentic mission for life transformation to take place. God, I pray that as we love one another, as we love others, God, lives will be changed and your kingdom will be advanced. In your Son's name, amen.